the Value Coffee Talk podcast. I'm April Morley. Thank you for joining April, my co-host for this uh, event. Um, this podcast is a service of the Enterprise Value Collective. And April, tell us what the Enterprise Value Collective is all about. Absolutely. It's a community for business value leaders and practitioners. Uh, it's sponsored by our value consultancy, Genius Drive. Awesome. And our mission through those two entities, the Enterprise Value Collective and our sponsorship by Genius Drive, and what we're here today on the podcast, it's a mission to help accelerate and optimize the uh, value articulation in each of your customer engagements and throughout your customer life cycle. So we're here to talk about everything value and to help you to optimize your program. And we have our coffees ready today. It wouldn't be a value coffee talk mm -hmm. without our coffees. And uh, I've got my dirty chai. So since I don't drink coffee, um, our guest today is Scott Jeffries. Uh, welcome, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. Scott is currently the head of uh, Global uh, Value Advisory out of Moreau, and he is a value leader veteran for companies like Slack, NetSuite, SAP, Business Objects, and several more. Scott, anything you'd like to add about uh, your career or background? Yeah, I started out actually in finance and accounting, so did the old CPA, MBA thing. So a lot of my perspective also comes from kind of thinking in the terms of financial statements. Um, I had a mm -hmm. chance to work for technology companies for 30 plus years here in the in Silicon Valley and uh, kind of fell into this line of work. And it's been a, a great uh, career over the past uh, 13, 14 years. Yeah, many of us are pioneers in kind of helping to um create and establish what this space is all about. No one started out as a value engineer or consultant, right? That didn't exist when we were coming out of school. So I started out on the product side in April. I think you started on the sales side, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, awesome. Well, today we're here to talk about an important topic. Um, one, Scott, that I know you're living right now, you were part of some of the biggest and best value consultancy out there. Uh, you know, SAP, one of the pioneers, you were with NetSuite, Slack had a fairly large program. Many of us now are finding that, okay, as we transition, as we grow our careers, we're moving from some of these bigger programs where we maybe cut our teeth and learned to now joining smaller companies. And wanted to find out from you, as you join a smaller organization, you know, what was the first thing that you experienced? What's the biggest difference that you see between big and small? Yeah, I think you know, the biggest one is lack of infrastructure, really. You know, if you, I, mean, I remember when I uh, moved from business objects where there were two of us and building uh, business cases for uh, uh, visualization of data, uh, dashboards mm -hmm. and reports and things like that, and then went into the SAP machine, which I think was about 250 people worldwide. Shakib had already built out a pretty substantial uh, program across the world. Uh, there was a lot of infrastructure. And, uh, and we were used to kind of bootstrapping it and making it up as we went and uh, went in and, and sat down and they showed me their first business case, which was about 50 pages long, about 30 pages of calculations. And we did business cases that were about 10 slides long. So I think the first thing is, is just lack of infrastructure and, and you have to build the infrastructure. And, and I think the other thing is you have to execute um, as a 
value professional while at the same time evangelizing for the program, which is a little bit different when you're in a well-established program. Most of that evangelizing has been done for you. There's a track record and a history of success, and then you can just go execute. Um, when you're when you start something new or come in when there's a few people, you've got to balance those two things. You got to promote the program and at the same time uh, execute and support revenue generation. Yeah, I can uh, attest to that as well, Scott. Um, so, where have you seen folks struggle the most in the transition? Yeah, I think one of the biggest struggles is if people have been at more well-established uh, programs, that's that's how they've been trained uh, and, and that's what they've done. And so I think the first reaction is you bring in what you know and you bring in what's comfortable to you and you want to implement that. And uh, and the reality is every technology company is different. Uh, their solutions are different. The markets that they serve are different. The go-to-market teams are different. And so I, I think where some people struggle is they get a little frustrated because they want to do it like they did it before, but they're in a different environment. You know, even uh, whereas SAP sold ERP systems and NetSuite sold ERP systems, you'd think, oh, it's got to be the same. But they serve very different markets and the go-to-market teams were different. And so uh, the ability to kind of come in and I, I tell people, I say the first thing to do for the first three months is do nothing. It's not really true. You want to be built, you want to be doing some stuff, but the reality is you've got to do a lot of listening, a lot of asking of questions. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. People get frustrated. They come in, they want to go. And sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. And uh, I think that's when you start a program, that's a, that's a pretty big thing to remember. Yeah. I think Scott too, a lot of the smaller organizations tend to be still very product driven when you oh, think yeah. about it and yeah. the a lot of the larger companies are more marketing sales driven yeah. organizations yeah. talk about how that impacts what you do maybe first second or third as yeah. a, a value leader within some of the smaller companies yeah, that's a great call out. In fact, it, it's interesting. I was, I've, I've talked about this frequently at, at Miro because we are in that going through that inflection point where um, exactly as you described early on, the product team leads everything. And, and then as you get a little bit later in your uh, development and think of SAP, Oracle, Salesforce, whatever, it's more of a go-to-market driven uh, organization, which is why those those companies tend to buy companies because it's harder for them to innovate. And I've went, gone through that a few times. And so, you know, when you're starting and you come in with an organization that's very product focused, the product team's like, what do you mean? It sells itself. It's awesome. <laughs> Our technology's great. Um, and we've gone through a little bit of that because it's really product led growth and, and a lot of great success. But you do get to the point in time where you need to start then actually building out more of the value messaging. And I think so um, when you go in to an organization that's really sales and marketing focused, there's probably a quicker adaptation uh, of a program like this. But the reality is those ones, there probably already is a program. I mean, NetSuite was a little bit late. They were, they were about 750 million in revenue when I joined. Most, they, they were by their own admission, a little late in building a program. Most are kind of like Miro, Slack, 500-ish million or less in revenue. Uh, and so then you get a lot of that product piece. And so what, what I spent a lot of time trying to do, kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, is with my background, I try to just be able to communicate with those folks that ultimately somebody's writing a check for 
whatever it is they're purchasing. And at some point in time, people are going to want to understand what they're writing their check for. And so that's where the justification comes into place. And, and our CFO has been really great about also communicating how he views investments in technology. He said, I need to understand what that value that we're getting out of our investments. And so having a strong CFO and, and folks like that definitely help. But I think that is, you just got to do again, more of that evangelizing and really painting the picture, uh, not only with customers, but internally so that they understand. And, and I do think once they get it, it's really cool. I've seen it here, which is once they get it, they're like, oh, now I understand. Now I understand how this capability or this group of capabilities impacts somebody's financial statements. And if you're part of a product development team, people probably haven't done that with you before. And so they can see that tie. And that's when I think it actually gets kind of fun. And, and our engagement with the product team has picked up here quite a bit in the last three or four months because now that's they're starting to appreciate the ultimate impact on their customers' organizations. That's great. Um, and it sounds like you've made this transition several times across different companies and different stages. Um, what do you think you would have done differently? Well, the first one I kind of mentioned, I think, you know, when I first went into NetSuite, I was like, let's go, you know, I got all these plans and mm -hmm. then, you know, you kind of stop and go, oh, maybe I should actually ask a few more questions and maybe listen a little bit more. So I think that was probably the first mistake I made. Um, I, I think also, the most times when you go into a company that wants to do one of these programs, they have people that are used to being having those programs support them. And they've come from a bigger company and it's just been a natural thing for them to do. So they pushed it. And so I think the other thing is to assume that everybody in the company is on board. Like everybody's like, this is a great program. And the reality is there's still a lot of people who've not been exposed to these programs. You know, a, a lot of people who are in kind of startup-y land, they go from another startup to another startup to another startup. And, and most of those mm -hmm. don't have programs. And so you get to that point, like we are, and it was the same thing at Slack and NetSuite, where you had a mixture of people that have been there from the beginning, and then people have been at bigger companies who are used to these programs. And I probably didn't spend enough time with the people early on that didn't know about the programs, just assuming that they would get it. And so uh, I, that I did not assume at Slack and Miro. I came in pretty early on and kind of almost assumed that I had to evangelize to everybody. Because the other piece of that is um, I've had to hear and at Slack talk to people that were used to programs and explain to them why it wasn't exactly like they were used to. Right. And, and so you do, it's just a different conversation, but you're still evangelizing what the program needs to look like or probably look like in that environment. So I think that was another thing that I had to learn uh, pretty quickly. We've seen too some leaders where it's like, oh, let's implement value. Okay, let's set up a business case factory or yeah. let's set up, let's put in some automation in place and let's roll out a tool and check value is done in the box. How do you kind of overcome that concept of, we like to think of value as everything, but sometimes that leader might say, well, value is one thing and this is it. Yeah. And if we just do that one thing, it'll have us check the box and then we're, we're speaking value. Yeah, I, it, I think one of the one of the things that that helped me the most and has over the last three is building out a multi year plan and and having pillars to the the that plan. 
the pillars that I tend to follow are influence revenue, develop content and tools, and then enablement kind of roughly. And then within those make modifications to it. And, and the reason why I do that and use that as, as a tool, and I still do. So it's been, I've been here about 15 months and I still pull that thing out all the time and walk through it. And we've added more specificity to it. But what it does is it, it starts to communicate the breadth of what a program can look like and then allow you to fine tune it. So the first one that I did a year-ish ago here, it looks different. The pillars are still the same. Some of the components are still the same, but then we made modifications and added to it. And I think what that's allowed is it's allowed us to not be pigeonholed uh, and it's allowed people to think broadly about what a program can look like as you get multiple years in, because there's certain things that you also have to plan for. You talk about automation you know you can go do automation quickly but at least in my experience i think you need to learn more about the environment and kind of what we talked about before before you really do automation because once you make some decisions about automation as soon as you automate you lose flexibility and mm -hmm. you know regardless and that's just kind of the way software works right you're taking away some level of flexibility so i think having that multi-year plan being flexible within that. And then again, communicating that to get feedback, I think opens some people's eyes. I know here there's some things that I brought up and showed and, and senior leaders are like, wow, I didn't really realize a value program did that. Like that's, you know, because not everybody's has that experience. So I think that's really key to, to helping just move things forward and not getting too pigeonholed. Uh, I think the other piece of it that's important is that plan needs to tie to your overall company strategic initiatives, OKRs, V2 moms, whatever they happen to be. And so then when you're talking to a leader, you show them exactly how the things that you have on your strategic plan or your roadmap meet or match to those OKRs. I very specifically visually, because our tools visual, uh, literally just put the OKRs there and just mark them and put it. And so as I'm showing it to them, they know exactly how our plan maps to the overall corporate plan. It also identifies areas where we potentially, again, could support where they hadn't naturally thought of a value program supporting. So it's it's been a really good tool for us to be successful in our communication. Yes, I really think having that charter is important. The other thing I've I've also recognized and seen in some programs is if you don't take charge of the charter it's not like it's going to be handed to you too right talk about that yeah. a little bit yeah and it gets back to a little yeah so a hundred percent i think that that if if anybody's starting a program and um thinks that people are going to lead them to where they need to get to then that's probably not the best spot for you because you to do something like this it's 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 hard and 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 it's fun but it's different and it's a very different leading a program of that's you know by the time i left netsuite it was six years in we had 25 people globally we were doing you know hundreds of millions of you know support dollars in support business cases it was running um you know that's a different skill set than coming in rolling up your sleeves and going and i think that you know, the, the, you've got to be able to just kind of 
work through those things. You've got to do that balance of making sure that you're leading the charter within the context of what the company is trying to accomplish and keep tying back to that. But you absolutely have to lead it. Like you have to evangelize. You have to, I was joking, I was on a call this morning and we had this old joke, I coach uh, kids' teams a lot. And the joke is you gotta say something seven to 10 times. And that applies to adults as well, right? So um, you've just gotta be okay with, knowing that you're constantly evangelizing until you get to that steady state, which, you know, can take a couple of years, two, three years. Absolutely. Um, it's all about evangelizing. So, yeah. uh, Scott, what is the one piece of advice going from big to small that you'd like to leave our enterprise value collective with today? Yeah, I think circle back on the, just, you know, first thing to do is just kind of come in and we talked about some some things to do structure wise but i think the first thing to do is come in and just understand the company uh, mm -hmm. i think that's kind of step one uh, don't be too anxious to to kind of show why they hired you right that will come out as you lead the program i think it also leaning on other people who have done it before obviously april you've done it before tom you've done it before and others who have expertise in this world, people are very open to having conversations. It is a pretty tight knit community. And I think people are very willing to help each other kind of get through these things. So lean on experts like April and Tom, uh, and just, you know, be willing to, you know, kind of go into that, that learning mindset. You know, you are, you are the leader of the program, but the most important thing I think is to, is to be, you know, learn the entire time and, and, and be able to adapt to the situation. And that, there you have it. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Scott, and sharing your experience with us. Uh, so thanks for participating in the Value Talk podcast. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. Please sign up for the uh, Enterprise Value Collective on LinkedIn or on our GeniusDrive.com website. You'll be able to stay in touch with us, be able to pose questions to us and to the community to learn more keep up on the latest events. We've got tools that we'll be publishing out there and also insights and advice articles. And until next time, our Enterprise Value Collective, keep sharing and growing.